This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Can you hear me? All right. Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. It is a joy to be with you today. We have got a lot to talk about. Of course, we've got... uh, Q and legal Q&A with CK, and I want to talk with her about uh, money for war, but not for the poor. I mean, this is what we're seeing. Summer Lee, the congresswoman out of, uh, out of Pennsylvania, said, you know, it's just, this is too much. And this comes amid the news that Americans are really not doing well financially. Uh, according to the 2020 census, Americans make a little more than $41,000 a year. Now, you need about 61 just to kind of keep your head above water in the United States. And we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of money go to war, right? I mean, and what do you think about that? I mean, can we really afford this? I mean, we just Let's just really talk about where this money can be going where it should be going. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Where would you like to see your money go? I mean, do we need to start giving, uh, having universal basic income, which is what Dr. King argued, and others have argued for that as well, where there is a floor beneath which no human being should fall. So you just, Gaddafi did it in Libya. Uh, the bounty of their oil-rich nation, they have some of the richest oil on earth. Uh, when that was discovered, when he came into power, what he did was make sure that no poverty existed in Libya. So, for example, when you got married, you got $50,000. If you wanted to go to school, you were sent by the government any place in the world, any place in the world, through the graduate level. Yeah. And there was basic income that everyone got because he said the oil that was discovered in Libya belongs to all Libyans. Now, of course, that's been destroyed in large part by us because we wanted to capture the oil and we uh, helped to take him out and all of that. Yeah, and that's real. And Libyans are very angry about it. Now Europeans are mad because they've got a migrant crisis because we collapsed their state. You've got so many riches in the United States, and yet uh, Americans don't get the bounty. A few people get the bounty. So I want to know what your thoughts are. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, and let me know what your thoughts are. What should be happening with our money? With our money, everybody. What do you think? Uh, do we... Give more money. Should we give more money to wars or should we give money to the poor and to people who are trying to make it out here? Right? So call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to know what your thoughts are today about that issue. You know, I mean, just... Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And now Bernie Sanders is being moved and asked, let's talk about that. Uh, he wants to make the monies that we give to Israel conditional, conditional upon 
various issues. Uh, and so what do you think about that? Should we give them money without strings attached? That's the first question I have for you today. Uh, it'll be a quick question, but I want, I want to get your thoughts. 773 but at the top of the hour, and I'll be taking your thoughts about this too, just about where should our money be going? Should we send more money to war? Or should these billions of dollars, these billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions really, when you look at the wars that we've had over the past 20 years or so, trillions, trillions, should they be going to the American people? Call me at 773-763-9278, particularly since the census shows that Americans are functionally struggling. Functionally poor, best dressed poor people on earth. So call me at 773-763-9278. Let's get some of these headlines out the way. More hostages are set to be released from the Gaza Strip today. It's the sixth day of this pause in fighting between Israel and Hamas, which may be extended to release more hostages and Palestinian prisoners. The CIA director traveled to Qatar to push for a longer pause in the return of eight or nine Americans believed to be held in Gaza. It's very interesting. America is not taking the lead on these negotiations. That is coming from Qatar. And I think we need to be very, very on that and get the pronunciation of the country correctly. Indeed, several reporters in our press conferences have expressed their offense at the fact that we keep calling them Qatar. It's not Qatar, it's Qatar. Okay? All right. Rosalind Carter, what a beautiful, beautiful service it was yesterday. And to see all of the living first ladies there was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. But it spoke to her legacy. Her life was celebrated at a memorial in Atlanta yesterday. So, so proud of Amy Carter. She read that love letter from her father to her mother. What a wonderful, wonderful service. The grandchildren, the great-grandchildren participated, the children, Chip. We've known the Carter family for a long time, and we just thank God for them and their legacy. The former First Lady's husband was there, former President Jimmy Carter, the Bidens, the Clintons, former First Lady's Michelle Obama, Melania Trump, and, uh, of course, uh, Laura Bush. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful service. Um, Her funeral will take place in Plains, Georgia, at the Baptist Church, where she and her husband of 77 years worshipped and where he taught Sunday school. A powerful political network endorsed Nikki Haley for president yesterday, also known as the Koch Brothers Billionaire. That's right, that billionaire backed the former U.N. ambassador in an effort to stop Donald Trump. Good luck, everybody. Call me at 773-763-9278. Will that work? The U.S. is urging Israel to be more precise in their Gaza strikes. More than 14,800 are now dead, most of them women and children. 160 people still remain captive in Gaza and Thousands more remain captive in Israel, Palestinians. Senate Democrats will meet with the IDF officials to uh, discuss Israel-Hamas conflict. And indeed, Senator Brian uh, uh, Schatz of, of Hawaii said it will be an extremely frank conversation. 
And so what do you think about that? And thankfully, all 41 men who were trapped in the tunnel in India, they were released alive. How wonderful is that, everybody? And interestingly, uh, Putin has noted the importance of establishing Palestine within the 1967 borders, which is what the U.N. has said. Mm. He says the conflict with Israel causes untold suffering to the Palestinian civilians. And Nigeria's former, former Minister of Commerce, Mustafa Bello, has said that the West should do more to, quote, build friends uh, uh, than encouraging people to become adversaries. Remember, America is only 4.23% of the world. Europe is only 9% of the world. Canada, not even half a percent of the world. However, Asia is 59%, and uh, Russia is part of Asia, everybody. Africa is almost 18% of the world. You've got the world who are saying they want peace, and they want it now. And Chicago will have a high of 40 degrees, partly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 42 degrees, partly sunny. In the NBA, the Celtics, 124. The Bulls, 97. A blowout, but they needed those points, everybody. The Timberwolves, 106. The Thunder, 103. In the NHL, Chicago, 4. The Kraken, 3. And the Wild, 3. And the Blues, 1. And those are the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. How you doing, Pastor Vicky? I am doing well. What about you, Santita? I am doing great. It's always a joy to hear your voice. Please give me some good news because I need it. I've been going to a lot of funerals lately. It's been a little, like, Mm -hmm. whoa. I mean, of my friends. (laughs) It's like, you know, wow. This is a lot. We were um, at Minister Farrakhan's son's funeral. Um, on Saturday. It was a beautiful tribute to Joshua. Um, But then, you know, of course, you know Ramsey Lewis. We grew up next door to him forever. Mm -hmm. His oldest child, his daughter, Denise, she passed away two weeks ago, about a week and a half ago. And yeah, you know, it's just like the hits just keep on coming. And so, um, but, you know, one of my Muslim friends passed away overseas. And something interesting happened, you know, the day that uh, her brother passed, spoke with her, and they were obviously devastated. And you could hear it. But the next day, um, reached out again, just, you know, just trying to stay in touch because they're out of the country and I wasn't going to be able to get over to the service because they do it in a day. Mm-hmm. And I heard all of this laughter and joy in the background. And I was like, hmm. She said, and she made note of that. She said, perhaps you hear us laughing. She said, you know, in our tradition, the first, um, on the first day, we cry because we feel the loss. We know that this person has been taken from us. But on the second day, we rejoice because we know that they have, been to, they have gone to be with God. Wow. I said, I would like to get there. I said, but you know what? I'm going to take that and hold it in my heart. So there you have it. And I'm going to have Henry mute me so I can listen to you and pull some of these stories down. But I need some good news. I need it. I need it. Amen. Well, good morning, Santita. And good morning to your morning stars and friends. There is good news. This coming Sunday will kick off Advent, the season in the Christian church of waiting for the coming of the Christ. There are four weeks of Advent that commences with a focus on hope. It is hard to wait for anything if you don't have hope. 
I believe that was the motive behind your father, the Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson, concluding his famous I Am Somebody chant with Keep Hope Alive. Keep Hope Alive. Keep Hope Alive. Waiting is not always the easiest thing to do. But to be asked to wait when you don't believe that which you are waiting for will ever come to pass is next to impossible. This time, a couple of years ago, we had to keep hope alive that the scientists would be able to formulate a vaccine that would protect us against COVID-19. Our hope produced not one vaccine, not two vaccines, but three that are keeping us alive. If we did not keep hope alive, we would not be able to enjoy the new freedoms that we have from that time, being able to have Thanksgiving celebrations with family and friends present. If we did not have hope, we might still be living in those restricted days where people were depressed and sad due to the lack of human content. Keeping hope alive eventually resulted in the coming of the newborn king, a king who not only fought for himself, but for the people who needed it most. You may be a little apprehensive about things that are to come in your life. As we trot further into the unknown days ahead of Advent, I want to encourage you during this coming first week to keep hope alive. Keep hope alive for our country. Keep hope alive for the world. Keep hope alive in your personal situations. Keep hope alive for those who need it most. If you can do this, and I'm sure that you can, then to me, that's good news. Well, I thank you for that, because even as I have Chug-a-Lug, my little pumpkin, going on in the background, that really is the key. It really is the key, because you, but you know, why do you, why is it that we tend to give up just before the breakthrough comes, Pastor? It seems that just before the breakthrough comes, just before it comes, we let go, oftentimes. I used to hear older people, I used to hear people say, older people especially, that the darkest night is just before the dawn. And if you are sitting out, and we seldom um, watch nightfall and the progression of nightfall, but it gets darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. And then comes daybreak. 
Many times because of the darkness of the situation, the depth, the weight of the situation, we feel like we can't make it any further. But they said that the darkest night is just before the dawn to give us the hope to hold on that when we are in a real struggle, when we feel like we can't make it, when you just want to give up and throw in the towel, that that is the time, as Reverend Evans used to say, to tie a knot in your rope and just hold on because help is on the way. Mm, thank you for that. You know, because it, it does fade to black just before the dawn comes. Mm-hmm. It really, mm-hmm. it really, really does. But, you know, it just seems that it doesn't seem it, it happens. You know, there are times when, you know, it is bleakest just before, just before, you know, your change comes. So everybody, please, you know, just in this, particularly in this time, um, in this time when so many people uh, feel, oh my gosh, this is a time when suicides go up, Pastor Johnson. Yes, um, in yes. This, in this time of hope. Just in, in about a minute, what do you say to people? I mean, how do you try to keep people and their their spirits up? Well, the the first thing that I would say to people is to talk to somebody. Instead of holding all of what you are experiencing inside, talk to somebody, talk to a friend, talk to a stranger, get it out. If you can hear yourself saying what you are saying it can or thinking, then it can help you to rethink it and um, as the, the wise men did, go back another way. Um, but I am a strong proponent of therapy. Uh, I believe that if we can have an ear that listens, that is trained to hear, that they can help to redirect us in times when we feel like we are despondent, disgusted, and at the dead end of the road. Should you go to your pastor, a psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker, any of the above? I would say oh, any and all of the above, depending on the level, um, pastors need to acknowledge that we don't know everything mm-hmm. and that some areas that people are struggling in is outside of our area of expertise. And um, when I took one training in, in critical care, it was the, the number one thing they encouraged us to do was to refer Refer, refer. Okay, I like that. Refer, refer, refer. <laughs> boy, oh yes. boy, oh boy. But don't be afraid to get that therapy, everybody. We, I mean, we yes. all need it. Please, I remember going to a therapist, to a psychiatrist, because I was like, you know, I'm really struggling with my weight, struggling with some relationships. I need to figure this out. And, um, you know, and... And she was very, very helpful to me. Very, very helpful. Very helpful. So everybody, hey, look, I'm going to be up front with you because I think that we need help. The master scientist is God. You know, God gives people all this information. Why not take advantage of it? Boom. That's Pastor right. Rick Johnson, 20 seconds. How can we worship with you on Sunday? 
You can worship with me at Lebanon Lutheran, 9 o'clock a.m. at 13100 South Manistee. And at St. Thomas Lutheran at 11.30 a.m. for an hour power on 80th and Jeffrey Boulevard. Love you, everybody. Dynamo Dave. I love you, girl. Absolutely. And I'm going to speak with Dynamo Dave. Bernie Sanders says that, you know, he may push for a vote on conditioning. Uh, aid to Israel. What do you think about that? And what about all this money that goes to wars? Don't you need it? Call me, 773-763-9278. Back in a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Sending Pastor Vicki Johnson so much love. Had no idea. Uh, thank you, Dwight McKee. As we were, as we have been getting inspiration from her, she has needed encouragement and love from us. Her husband had a stroke in October. Praise be to God. He's doing well. But, you know, as a tribute to her spiritual maturity and the fact that she does keep hope alive, um, she's kept on going, kept on pastoring, she's kept on serving, and she has been here with us. Uh, just and being a wife and all these wonderful things, and we just thank God for you, Pastor Vicki Johnson. Thank you for your lived example. Thank you so much. Love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. Everybody, let's talk about. Um, well, today we're going to be talking about. Uh, money for war, but not for the poor. You know, Americans are functionally poor. According to the 2020 census, Americans on average make $41,000 a year. Now, you need about 61000 just to keep your, head, your chin above water. So something is not right here. So when you see, I'm hearing something in the background, everybody. Uh, so when you hear, um, okay, we're going to give $100, $100 billion to uh uh, Ukraine, Israel, and go sneak Yemen in there. You've got to go, whoa, 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 whoa. What about Americans? And every time, you know, we got to debate Social Security. We've got to debate all of the programs that keep us alive. So I want to know what your thoughts are about that. So continue to call me at 773-763-9278. But first, let's look at Bernie Sanders. Many progressives have been a little put out because he is not... Um, he has not signed on to the idea of a ceasefire. Okay. But now he is maybe thinking about pushing for uh, a resolution that would make aid to Israel conditional. So what do you think about that? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to know what your thoughts are. Should, should that be the case, not just with Israel, but with everybody? And if you're going to get our money, and typically it is, you know, we um, we generally have conditions. Uh, but I, but first, before I go to you, Dr. David Gibbs, and you, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, and Rachel Ida Buff, and Dwight McKee, let me go to Dynamo Dave, who called in this morning. How you doing, Dynamo Dave? 
Sweet sunshine of Chicago doing. Oh, I just love you. Oh, I'm so fine. Thank you, Dave. I'm oh, fine. get out of here. He's not Thank thinking you, about me. <laughs> See? Ego run amok. There's more than one sunshine in Chicago. No, no. Emotionally, he's so needy. Ain't that nothing? Just needy, needy, needy. Can't let me have it. <laughs> How are you? Okay, okay, sunshine of our lives, Dwight. You, do you feel better? Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh-huh. So, what's on your mind today, Dave? You you mentioned about you know where where we should redirect our defense spending. You've mentioned you've noted before other shows about we're approaching a trillion dollars. Going to the Pentagon, <clears throat> and I was going to say, um, in addition to you know the guaranteed income for people, most people take pride in doing work, but many people, like in the Twin City area, they can't get to jobs. They keep cutting the bus services. People, you know, if you can't, if you don't have a car, you can't get to a job in some metropolitan areas, and uh, and so some people can't get to jobs in outlying areas or whatever. And so I'm thinking we should redirect, redirect some of that money toward <clears throat> infrastructure or transit throughout, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the nation. In fact, with all that kind of money, you could probably have transit where anybody could go anywhere in the United States for free, no fare. Um, but uh, anyway, that, that's, my, that's the one thing I wanted to add to the conversation. No, that's a big deal. That's a big deal because we need it. But, I mean, but what about health care, right? I mean, what about mm-hmm. getting a computer to every, not just every child, but to every person? I mean, the Internet ought to be a public utility. You've got to have it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and of mm-hmm. course now, ooh, that means, you know, a lot of companies that make money off of this privately, well, maybe they won't make as much if they make it at all. Well, there's some things that are a public good. And I think we've got to rethink this, our, you know, the... The social contract, because it's time for Americans yes. to decide what it is that we want and need. And more than that, first, what you need. That's what John Johnson from John Johnson from Johnson Publishing told us. He said, no, no, no. First, you get mm-hmm. what you need. Then you get what you want. You know, you don't get the dessert first. You get the entree. Okay. Dynamo mm-hmm. Dave has spoken. What say you, everybody? Sending you so much love today. I love you, Dynamo Dave, my sunshine. Go on, Dwight. Say say something to Dynamo Dave. Hey, hey, Doc. How you doing? Ain't that pitiful? He's so pitiful. Thank you. Oh, let's talk. Let's talk about this uh, this push by. uh, It's a possible push by Bernie Sanders to make aid to Israel conditional, conditional. So, what do you think about that? Should that be the case? Should that be the case with, I guess, everybody? You know, and the thing is, we do tie conditions on our money view. We don't do it with them. And um, what do you think should happen? You tell me. Um, he spoke with The Intercept in an inter- interview. And minutes before uh, a Senate Democratic caucus luncheon, where the question of placing conditions on $14 billion in aid to, in, to Israel was on the agenda, uh, yes. He replied gruffly. It would ask if there was a chance he would push for a floor vote. So what do you think? We've got Attorney C.K. Hoffler. We've got um, Dwight McKee, Rachel Ida Buff. And um, I want to know what your thoughts are today, Dr. Rachel Ida Buff. If not now, Professor Rachel Ida Buff, of course, um, you're from 
so many organizations. That, of course, I met you from, if not now, but Jewish Voice for Peace, Never Again Action, Wisconsin. Rachel, what should should we have? Should there be conditions? Should he take this to the floor? Yeah, thank you, Cynthia. Good morning. And um, primarily for the purposes of the show, I'm Jewish Voice for Peace. I've never been, if not now, but I'm, I I like them. Um, oh, okay. there. Um, so when you were talking just now and th- we're thinking about, you know, how, you know, the old bumper sticker, like, you know, why shouldn't the military be having bake sales instead of the schools to fund their operations, right? You know, we're really trapped in this Cold War paradigm. You know, so during the Cold War, the idea was that the communists were, you know, trying to get us, take our good stuff, hurt us turn us into godless whatevers, right? And whether you believe that or not, that was the dominant paradigm that informed our foreign policy. So we got to fund our friends and destroy our enemies and all that stuff. And, you know, the wall came down in 1989. Communism is no longer a threat. So, you know, our whole, um, the way we fund foreign aid is is predicated on that notion that we it's a terrifying world out there and we have to be really careful and what we kind of have done collectively, and certainly uh, the State Department has done, is kind of slide Muslim and Islam and, you know, um, the idea of terrorism into the communist thought. Like, someone's always got to be getting us, right? It was the communist, now it's the terrorist. You know, so we, we went to war for 20 years after 9-11 because we, we didn't like what the terrorists did on 9-11. Nobody liked 9-11, right? Let's put that aside. But the question is, are we safer? for the blood and treasure, for the deaths of our young people, for the incredible amounts of money, for bankrupting our schools, our public health, our parks, our roads. Are we better off? And the answer is a resounding no. So that means we need to rethink the way we think about the world. Like, they're all, they're all trying to get us, you know, and we have to, we have to like, strike while the iron is hot and keep, keep them at bay. It doesn't really work. I personally don't think it was ever true in the way that it was preached during the Cold War. And now that we have people like Betty McCollum in Congress who's saying, look, let's really think about funding regimes that put children in jail, like Israel, right? So we're, we're seeing the release of captives of Israel in exchange for the hostages of Hamas. And who's coming out of jail? It's 12-year-old boys who've been in there since they were eight. Mm. It's moms who are guilty of hugging their sons or, you know, there was, I saw a really interesting clip yesterday where um, they were saying, you know, Palestinians are never taken as human. So a 10-year-old boy watches the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, kill his older brother. And the next time he sees those guys in the street, he throws a rock at them. He goes to jail, right? He never gets to be a child. Like, oh, you screwed up. You should not be throwing rocks at those folks. No, no. Right? We want to really be careful about regimes like this. Our whole raison d'etre, the whole point of, allegedly, of our foreign policy architecture is to support democracy. That's not what we're doing, because we have no conditions. So Betty McCollum's bill is, you know, let's, not, let's, let's withhold funding from Israel until they stop jailing children. That is such a low bar. It is a low bar, but boy, oh boy, I mean, because to see these children released, I mean, they're called prisoners, but, you know, on the Israeli side, they're called hostages. I'm like, you held these kids hostage. How do you arrest an eight-year-old and put them in prison? That's... Exactly. Mm, that, that's... Wow. Dr. David Gibbs, your thoughts? 
I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I've been struck by in my academic research is how all American presidents since Truman uh, have seen themselves as foreign policy presidents and see domestic policy, the, you know, uh, policies that maybe are designed to improve people's lives or improve their education or their health care. American presidents tend to see it as very boring and as an afterthought. Um, the exciting thing for presidents is to be a foreign policy president. I'm sure that's true of Biden. It was true um, with regard to the Ukraine war, which I think, um, you know, gave Biden at least initially the time of his life. It's also true with regard to the uh, Israel-Palestine-Gaza conflict uh, now. Um, and there is this sense that the really important thing for American uh, officials is American power overseas. All right? It's a very exciting thing. It, um, you know, it, it has other advantages as well for a president. You know, you don't, for the most part, you don't really have to deal that much with Congress. A lot of this can be done unilaterally. Uh, it tends to be bipartisan. Indeed, it is bipartisan. I mean, support for Israel, support for the war um, in Ukraine, this is, has very little distance from either party. Um, and so um, there's, there's really a great deal pushing presidents in the direction of war and military confrontation. Very little that pushes them away from that. Um, I mean, one of the things that might do that, hypothetically, would be the public generally isn't that enthusiastic. Most of the public today wants a ceasefire in Gaza. The public is increasingly turning against U.S. support for the war in Ukraine. But it's, it's remarkable the extent to which foreign policy <clears throat> is a non-democratic area. It's kind of immune from democratic principles and democratic pressures to an extraordinary degree. And again, I, I emphasize the fact that there's hardly any call for a ceasefire in Gaza right now. <clears throat> um, even Bernie Sanders, you know, one thinks of him as one of the most independent figures in Congress, has been almost lockstep with the Democratic Party on both the Ukraine and Israel-Palestine issues. Um, you know, he's dissented maybe a tiny bit, a little baby step with regard to uh, thinking about having aid conditional um, but even that isn't expressed very strongly. And so I think there's this very unhealthy feature of U.S. politics uh, that uh, foreign policy is a special area. It's one far more important than domestic policy. And it's also not a democratic area. It's immune from democratic principles. It's, it's insulated from democratic principles. And really that should be unacceptable in a democracy, though it's not. Hmm. So what are your thoughts, Attorney C.K. Hoffler? Well, good morning, Santita. Good morning, everyone. You know, I tend to agree with, um, with Dr. Gibbs. Um, I, I put it in terms of every pre U.S. president in my lifetime, um, and, and historically, if we go back even, even further, has a war, and sometimes two wars. That I do believe that we do define, or presidents do define, their success in terms of, in part, how they've been able to maintain world peace. And the fact that there hasn't been a world war since the 1940s is sort of indicative of how we as superpowers view our role. Yes, we have to handle domestic issues. Yes, we have to um, take care of our people internally. But the unfettered discretion and the real power of a president comes in his, at this point, his ability to, to declare war, to invest U.S. money in war without a lot of restraint. 
And so what, what President Biden is doing is what we've seen every year, I've seen every U.S. president in my lifetime do, and that we've done. The problem with where we are today is that we're inching, in my estimation, towards a world war. There have been unprecedented actions taken by, for one, African countries, led by the South African government, in terms of declaring and, and reporting um, Israel for um, at, at ICC, you know, and, and taking a very, very strong position in solidarity. The Organization of African Unity, we have this consolidation and the solidarity of Arab nations on a level that we've never seen before supporting the, the plight of Palestinians in Gaza. We have other countries that have said point blank, we are not going to tolerate the complete annihilation of a people in Gaza. That's different from what we've seen in the past. And we also are seeing internally in the U.S., as Dr. Gibbs just said, and as Cynthia, you and many guests have said, we're seeing um, the public in the United States. People are protesting because, much like they've done with other wars, because they want, to, they want this to stop. So the question is, how should, if, if the president is going to consider this, and he, is, he has indicated that he is considering some, you know, there, it's worth thinking about some of these conditions. And now we have Bernie Sanders, who is taking, I believe it is baby steps, but at least there's some steps, in trying to condition the military support to Israel. What is that going to look like? Is the president really going to consider that? Is Congress going to really um, consider that, really consider that? And will that ultimately lead to peace? Because we are on the verge of a world war. So, Santina, when I look at this conflict, and there are no winners in war, we're already losing in war. There are no winners, you know, there are no, the Palestinian people are losing and Israelis are losing in this war. No one is going to win. Well, I mean, not to no one. The, the, the um, military, the equipment and the machinery and those who are producing it, the, the big business involved in the military complex, they're winning because they always win when there's a war. But people are not winning in this war throughout the world. And now we have countries positioning and speaking the language that we hear the precursor to a world war. That is devastating. That is my focus. And that is what, for me, is so problematic. That is what keeps me up at night. Because that's how I see it, based on my experience and the lens that I am looking at this. And I'm not speaking, Santita, when I say that from any organizational standpoint that I'm affiliated with, associated with, have been leadership mm-hmm. in or am a leader in. This is what CK feels. This is what CK is sensing based on my experiences having lived abroad, having been in an international environment for the majority of my professional career, certainly more for the first 20 years of my professional career, and seeing, you know, democratic governments evolve, seeing, um, being in countries that were in the midst of civil war, where military solutions were perceived to be the solution to resolving um, conflict for years after years, like in Angola, over three decades of of military militarization to resolve a civil war. Um, and so it's just based on my experience. I think we're entering towards a world war and that should keep us up all night, every night, because that will only change life as we know it. We may not have life to change. Mm. Dwight McKee. 
Well, another understand how America works. What you have to understand is America is an uh, industrial techn- technological superpower. And it needs resources and natural resources to keep operational. But most of its ne- the resources that it needs are not in America, not in the United States. They're all over the world. And they're competing with other superpowers for those resources. And so they need military bases. They need these 80 military bases around the world locked in to secure those areas where they have to extract those natural resources. And so our military strategy is a reflection of our industrial and technological needs, whether it is oil or uranium or, or, or water or whatever we, uh, those industries need to keep functioning, we have to have some military presence there in order to secure that, that, that resource for our technology or for our industry. And so it's almost, unless we redesign the economy of the country, almost impossible for us not to be a military power. Uh, Not because we are inherently militaristic, but because the structure of the economy is as such, we have to have a military presence in order to keep the the, the, the country operational. If we run out of oil, the country closed down. We don't have enough oil in America to sustain the country. So, of course, we need a presence in the Middle East in order to make sure that us in England can dominate those oil interests. And so our relationship with Israel is because we need a military presence over there to help make sure that we can put Russia in check uh, with Iran and with Iraq and and put China in check with Iran and Iraq. It's, and so we would have to reinvent our economy and go to start dealing with uh, industries that don't require us to use of everybody's resources in the world to sustain us. And mm. and so many companies are invested already because of this 100, 200-year uh, cycle we're in. So many country, uh, companies are already invested in their present functionality is that they are the ones that are most resistant to making a change in the economy because they would suffer first, lose their money first, and go out of business first. And so it is the, you know, the global oils. It is the the Apple computers. It is those countries that demand that the administration use the military to protect those interests that they need in order to maintain their leverage in the, the world marketplace. Well, you know, Dr. Gibbs, I've got a couple of minutes. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, Dwight, you were wrapping up. So it's very difficult to go to a peace economy if your whole 
economy is based on a military operation, a military needs. Mm. Dr. Gibbs, i got about 90 seconds for you before you go and work with those students as you close out the semester. I mean, but we're <laughs> right, only like, four, we're like 4.2% of the world. This, is this sustainable? I mean, you get, to, you get to Turkey, they've got an army that out, outflanks us. I mean, that's not our oil up under their sand. You know, I mean, are we, are, do we need to do a rethink about just how we live, live? Because what we're doing is, I just don't see it being sustainable, Dr. Gibbs. I, I agree with you. I think it's not sustainable. I think that, um, you know, Dwight, uh, you know, uh, Dwight uh, McGee is, of course, correct that uh, there are very definite economic pressures pushing the U.S. in favor of this sort of global militaristic policy. But the factors working against it are two things. Uh, one of them is that, uh, you know, the United States uh, from 1945 up until quite recently had these overwhelming, not only military, but economic dominance um, over the whole world and was able to dominate partly because its economy was by far the largest in the world. That, of course, is, is disappeared for the most part. And China has now reached rough parity with the United States with a higher rate of growth. So in the future, China will eclipse the United States. Uh, and that's happening right now. China's growth rate has declined, but it's declined from the stratosphere to a mere 5%, which is twice what the United States has. And so uh, and other countries are now pulling away from the United States. You know, you see uh, even relatively small countries in Africa pulling away from the United States, for example, on Ukraine, on Gaza. And, uh, you know, this is going to happen at an accelerating pace. So that's one factor They'll undermine America's ability to dominate organizations uh, like the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, um, the international architecture. That's going to erode and gradually disappear. Another factor pushing against American empire is the American public. Um, you know, increasingly, you're having the public becoming tired of the idea of spending money on guns at the expense of butter at a, at a time of stagnating or declining living standards. People are getting tired of that, and they're saying so in public opinion polls. I think a lot of America's facing, as everyone knows, a very turbulent, unstable period politically. You know, the election of 2024 could be a very exciting election, but not in a positive way. We all know that. And there are many reasons for this. But one of them, I think, is the fact you have this split between elites who insist upon keeping America as a global imperial power and the public that really doesn't want that anymore. And so I think the public increasingly will become another uh, superpower, shall we say, in American politics um, that will insist upon uh, reducing military spending and reducing America's global footprint. And to my mind, that's a good thing. We're a democracy and we should function like a democracy. Hmm. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. Everybody like and share the show. Like and share the show. They've been messing with my algorithms, y'all. 
That's right. Telling you, I'm going to be on an hour or two later than I am and all of that. But like and share the show, like and share the show. We've been getting a lot of wonderful feedback from more and more people who are just finding out about the show or just tuning in. And we're so grateful uh, that they're so supportive. So, everyone, please, WCPT 820, listen to us all day. In fact, you're going to, this is going to be ground central for the Democratic National Convention. You don't want to miss that. Indeed, during the primary, it turns out our station had the most time Time spent listening of any station in the city. That's right. People listen to us from start to finish. And so I want you to do that. Tell everybody about WCPT and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. There are only a few of us, but we give you the news, everybody. We give it to you and we give it to you. Right. Let's talk about why there is more money for war, but not food for the poor. What do you think about that when you see that the 2020 census show that Americans make a little more than $41,000 a year? It takes you about $61,000 a year to keep your head above water, as they sang in the theme to good times. And people are struggling out here, struggling. If we spent, what if President Biden decided to cut that $100 million check not for Ukraine and Israel and Yemen and all these other wars, for the American people? I mean, really, for programs for the American people. What about that? What if the Internet were a public utility that just everybody could get on anywhere you are? What if every American school child had an up-to-date computer? What if every American had access to computers? What if we had access to health care that we did not have to go into bankruptcy for? What, what, what if, what if, what if? I mean, all that's possible. Yes, I, like I said in the previous hour, Gaddafi did it in Libya. When they saw, when he came into power and you saw that this is one of the most oil-rich nations on earth, he said, okay, because this is Libyan oil, I'm going to give all Libyans access to it. So when you get married, you get $50,000. We're going to create universal basic income so we do not have poverty. If you want to go to school and actualize yourself in any profession, any place in the world you want to go to school, we will send you. They did stuff like that. Can We could do that in the United States. We really could. But you can't do that in war at the same time. Call me at 773-763-9278. I mean, CK, this is, this is legal. You said you, you taught us yesterday. You were like, look, I'll, you know, I'm not saying that these things are, are ethical, but there's a lot that's legal. And we need to move the needle on this. And, of course, Attorney CK Hoffler has her own radio show on WAOK every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And she is a legal analyst on Court TV. Chair of Rainbow Push, former president of the National Bar Association, the largest and oldest bar association, black bar association in the world, more than 65,000 lawyers. Boom. You've got attorney Mark Fancher, attorney Daryl Jones, chairman of the of the uh, Transformative Justice Coalition, brilliant social scientist Dwight McKee, and, of course, Professor uh, Rachel Ida Buff from Jewish Voice for Jewish Voice for Peace. Got a lot of people going to weigh in with you, C.K. Hoffler, so let's get right to it. Let me get to these headlines. More hostages are set to be released from the Gaza Strip today. It's the sixth day of a pause in fighting between Israel and Hamas. Rosalyn Carter was laid to rest yesterday. Well, she'll be laid to rest today. There was a wonderful memorial service today, yesterday. That was a celebration of her life. You had all of the living former first ladies. You had presidents. Uh, Carter, of course, her husband was there, President Clinton, President Joe Biden. It was a wonderful, wonderful celebration of a life well lived. The Koch brothers are putting their billions behind, well, at least Charles Koch is, Nikki Haley. 
Can she take out Donald Trump? Probably not. But okay. Rescuers in India reached the 41 men trapped underground for weeks. All of them came out alive. Yay. I'm so excited about that. You should be too. That is a great thing, everybody. The U.S. is urging Israel to be more precise in their Gaza strikes. And Senate Democrats are meeting with IDF officials uh, to discuss Israel-Hamas, the Israel-Hamas conflict. And indeed, uh, they're saying that these will be extremely frank conversations. In the meantime, President Putin has noted the importance of enabling or establishing the uh, Palestine with the 1967 borders. Now, mind you, that is what the United Nations have said. Um, Israel absolutely disagrees with that. They say that the conflict with Israel, quote, causes untold suffering to Palestinian people. Wow. And those are some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson show in Chicago. We'll have a high of 40 degrees, partly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 42 degrees, partly sunny in the NBA. The Celtics, 124. The Bulls, 97. The Timberwolves, 106. The Thunder, 103. A heartbreaker. In the NHL, Chicago was triumphant last night, and as were the Wild. And those are the headlines. Attorney C.K. Hoffler, you have got Attorney Mark Fancher, Attorney Daryl Jones, Dwight McKee, our sister beloved, Professor Rachel Ida Buff. Not that I don't love you guys, but, you know, she's our sister beloved. And we're very happy that she's here. Um, what about this idea? I mean, she's the Summer Lee, uh, the freshman congresswoman out of Pennsylvania, is leading the call to end the era of money for wars, but not food for the poor. What about that? I mean, I mean... You have to deal with people who go to jail every day for so-called petty crimes because they're starving out here, CK. They're starving. You know, people doing all kinds of things. It completely changes, you know, how you function in the world when you are literally hungry. Can you? I told you about that cashier who I met in the in the grocery store, and she's just trying to figure out how to skipping meals because she cannot afford the groceries that she has to check out for everybody every day. It's awful. Well, Santita, uh, good morning. Good morning to everyone. I, I will just, I will just say this: when, um, whenever I have my my show on on WAOK, um, you know, a lot of times we try to bring awareness to issues, a different way of looking at issues, legal questions, and tying the legal aspects to social justice issues. And I can tell you, and, and having discussions about these wars that the U.S. is involved in, now the war in Gaza and the war in Ukraine, many of the callers, and WAOK is, is an iconic station in Atlanta, servicing or serving the community. So we get a lot of people from all over the country, quite frankly, but the Atlanta community that really focuses in on what we're talking about. And... While we're talking about wars, they're like they're more concerned about. Yeah, we we hear the wars. We don't like the war. We don't like the money we're spending. But we have basic problems and needs here. That is what I'm hearing people say every single day. Certainly every Tuesday on my show, but even beyond the show, when I'm at other, when I'm speaking as a lawyer, when I talk about different things, the the people in our communities are concerned about living. They're concerned about the homeless issue. They're concerned about crime. And they're concerned about what they feel is us being taken advantage of. They're concerned about why we can't have reparations. They're concerned about all of these things 
that never really reach the surface of, of intense discussion, really, in, um, in, 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 it's certainly in the court of public opinion, but on corporate media. We don't hear a lot about these issues because the focus is on what is driving the presidential elections right now. And the discussion about, and, and, and this war, this war in Gaza, the war in Ukraine, and all the money that we're spending. But the issues concerning Americans at home, sitting at home, not able to make ends meet, all of that, that's lost in the shuffle for many people. And they're looking towards members of Congress to try to level the playing field. And so when they hear that their member of Congress is voting in favor of spending billions and billions and billions of dollars in foreign aid to Israel or to Ukraine and to to fight these wars, they are looking to those members to fight the war at home. And so I'm just giving you, Santita and everyone, what's on the minds of people who are every day working to try to make ends meet. What about voting rights? What about civil rights? What about the homeless issue, the homeless population? The homelessness issue is huge everywhere that you go and getting worse. And the crime, the crime is at an all-time high. So these domestic concerns, I think many want to see them trump, for lack of a better term, the international concerns, or at least be on parity, at least be put, considered on the same level. If you're going to dump money into these wars, then dump money into our communities. Dump money into programs that can help our communities. Dump money into the real significant issues that are plaguing um, Americans here in this country. We're concerned about our men and women going to war. This is what is being echoed day in and day out when I'm speaking to communities. So well, you, well, you know what? Bus- let, let me let me give people the number so they can call in and participate as well as you as you pivot to, you know, to your to your panel. Of course, call us at 773-763-9278. What do you think about more money for war, but no food for the poor? Um, and it's not just people who are living in the PJs, everybody. Americans are functionally poor. 2020 census shows that the average American income is 41400 plus a year. That's no more. Attorney C.K. Hoffler? Absolutely. I just want to make just a little um, cautionary note. I was at the Clemson game because my son played football for Clemson when former President Donald Trump um, appeared. He was at the game. And this is in South Carolina, so it was all political. And they, the governor brought him out on the field during halftime. Nikki Haley, this is her state. She's former governor, was nowhere to be found. Just a little side note. And so as we, as we talk about, you know, humanitarian needs and human needs here in the United States um, and, and money for war but not food for the poor, I'd like to first call on Dwight McKee. You know, we talk about Uncle Dwight. We talk about Daddy Dwight. We talk about the incredible visionary um, social justice engineer and scientist. And I'd love to hear his take on this issue. Well, the way you control money is what you use to control people's energy. And so the more money they have, the more independent they become and the more freedom they have, and the less control you have over them. And so there has to be a certain control over the amount of money that's invested in the general population so that the powers that be can exercise control over them and their energy. If you gave enough people money, uh, some of the guys in the in the inner city, or uh, some of the little young guys on the farms, uh, then they would not necessarily have to join the military. 
support those interests around the, the world where they need lives. If those lives had, had options, then you wouldn't have control over their destiny. Uh, if more people had money, they wouldn't take those jobs that uh, the agricultural jobs and the, uh, uh, the hospitality jobs where they get no money, they are the margin of profit for the major companies, the major corporations. They would have options for themselves. They would be doing something else. And you need the energy to sustain the economy. In order to understand that, that, that butter uh, war option, you have to understand the purpose of money. And the purpose of money is to control people's energy and their destiny. And so you have to make sure that you maintain enough control over them and they have enough need that you can manipulate them or direct them to those things that you need for yourself to have done and not in their specific interest. Money is power. And the people that can have money or keep up maintain the money or control the money, they use that for the purposes of power and controlling other people who don't have money. Hmm. Well, it does boil down to money, and it does boil down to who controls the money. And the impact on our communities is, is at this point just, just devastating because you're right. If you don't, if you have the money, if you have the ability to refuse military service and refuse doing certain jobs, um, then that will impact the overall perception of of the military complex as it is, because they need people to go into the service. That's that's a you know Dwight McKee. We always count on you to bring it, to bring it real, and to bring it to bring what the actual situation is versus what we see on in the media. But I also like to hear from. Professor Rachel Abbas on this issue, from your standpoint, how do you see this playing out? So let me get historical again and say that um, after World War II, the prevailing kind of fiscal and government theory was Keynesian economics. And Keynes said, you know, the government's just going to spend. It's going to spend on military, it's going to spend on social programs we're going to spend, and that's going to be good for the economy. And that worked maybe till 1972 for some folks. It was not equal, but there was this notion that we could solve social problems with spending. But when there were economic downturns and when there has been overspending on the military-industrial complex, this, this, in short, this is no longer working, right? We're a debtor nation. Our industry has vanished. It's no longer possible to sustain the really high level of spending on the military. And I think about Dwight D. Eisenhower, no radical Republican president, military general, who when he left office in 1961 said, beware the power of the military-industrial complex, beware the spiritual and economic and social power of the military-industrial complex, because what we've created with interlocking boards, with the power of corporations like Lockheed Martin, um, uh, G4S, like these global militarist corporations, they are invested 
and spend, spend, spend on um, on war. They don't care about its effects. They care. They don't care about its effects on people. They don't care about its effects on the American economy. They care about funding their own profit. And I want to talk about another historical figure. I, you know, when we were talking just now, when I was listening to the conversation, I was thinking about the late great Gil Scott Heron and his song mm-hmm. "Way on the Moon." Right, and so I'm just going to read you one stanza of it. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. And I think this is Gil Scott Heron in his classically sort of subtle and brilliant way saying, "We can spend on the space race with Russia, but we're down here and we can't pay our bills." Right? It's back to your um, checkout person who can't afford food. Those are decisions that have been made, and I think Dr. Gibbs was saying, like, well, we're a democracy and people are turning against us. I'm not sure, and I think Dwight D. Eisenhower was not sure in 1961 that we could remain a democracy with people with that much power and money and influence, and we're seeing this in our politics now, who just want to spend, like, the stock market goes up when people are dying in Gaza. The stock market goes up when people are dying in Ukraine, right? So that's a pretty contradictory thing. Hmm. Well, we haven't heard. We haven't heard from Mark and and Daryl uh, Jones. Jones. We've got about two minutes. You want to hear from one of them before we go to break? Yes, I'm going to call on Daryl Jones. The connection between um, money and and basic rights that are being ignored. Some people feel in this country, such as voting rights. You're in that space. Indeed, you and Barbara Arnwine are leaders in that space. What do you say about this? Thank you, CK, and good morning. And you know, as uh, as as Dwight and uh, and Dr. Ida before were discussing it, you know, what I wrote down as a quick note was money is power and voting is power, because you know what we have to understand foundationally is that when we're talking about wars and things like that, there are political decisions that are being made by elected officials. So the power of that vote, uh, the power of the of the masses, if you will, to be able to put people in office that make those decisions that are uh, to be held accountable for prioritizing what's important. Is it more of priority, as as Congresswoman Summer Lee is saying from Pennsylvania, is it a higher priority for food over weapons, or is it a higher priority for weapons over food? That's what the voting rights fight is all about. Ultimately, the foundational strength, I believe, lays in voting, lays in electing officials that are consistent with the principles for which we want to stand. And, you know, it it, it overlays all of this because we can determine as a people where the money is spent by determining who it is that determines where the money is spent. And that's the the power of of that vote, CK. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Santita, I know we've got to go to break um, because I want to hear from Mark Sancher. We need to hear from Mark Sancher on this issue. We want to give him ample time to express himself. So if we've got to go to break now, when we come back, why don't we hear from Mark Sancher and hear what he has to say about this? And want you to continue to call. We've got callers calling in and continue to do that at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. We're talking about uh, more war more money for war, but no food for the poor. You know, every time you see a debate, you can bring that on up, bring it on up. It, you know, just every time you hear about a debate, we debate about Social Security. Do we need Medicare? Do we need Medicaid? Do you need Obamacare? Of course you do. You need all of that. 
But there's no debate about the Pentagon budget. They just, they even get more money than they ask for. Every single time. But if you have an emergency shutdown of schools, your child doesn't have a computer. You don't have access to the Internet. People are working themselves to the bone and they cannot go to the emergency room. No. Think about that. Is that right? Is that right? Are our priorities in the right place? Call us at 773-763-9278, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, and the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. And guess what, everybody? SantitaJackson.com is up, so go on over there and check it out. All right, everybody, back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show Legal Q&A with CK. I am Santita Jackson. It's a joy to be with you today on the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. And of course, the YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, please get on over there and go to SantitaJackson.com. We just launched that uh, website. We're going to be adding a lot of content to it over the next few days. So, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, of course, Professor Rachel Ida Buff is going to have to leave us, as did uh, Professor Gibbs. You know, they're closing out those semesters. they got to keep it moving. they got to keep it moving. We're going to hear from Attorney Mark Fancher. But Attorney C.K. Hoffler, I turn it over to you as we talk about more war, more money for war, but no money for the poor. This is what Summer Lee said. The folks of all religions, races, and socioeconomic backgrounds that she represents want their families, their neighbors, and their world to be safer, healthier, and freer for all. They know that funneling billions more dollars into arms dealers' pockets won't keep our children safe from weapons of war at home or across the world. Indeed, these endless wars have cost U.S. taxpayers $8 trillion, with a T dollars that could have and should have gone to ending worldwide hunger by 2030. That would have been $267 billion. And you still have $135 billion left over. And guess what that could do? It would provide universal pre-K, provide universal family and medical leave, and it would eradicate student debt. They could have done that with a stroke of the pen, C.K. and Professor. Uh, I mean, they were going to give $100 billion to, to these wars just last week. <laughs> oh, C.K., take it Absolutely. away. I can't take it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we want to um, we want to give you know Professor Buck. She's got to go teach her class. And we want to give her the ability to give closing remarks on on this topic. And we thank you in advance for all that you're doing and for the historical overview that you gave us, Professor Buck. I'm here. Um, I think that we need, maybe need to think about the world not dividing it in between um, domestic and foreign expenditures. And what I mean by that is. Look, you know, right now, right-wing politics in this country is animated by fear of the immigrants. 
who are the immigrants? Who are the people walking to our borders from South and Central America, from West Africa, from Haiti? They are people whose economies have been stripped and ruined by American foreign policy, right? So the people who show up at our borders in such dire need, asylum seekers, of, of just safety and material resources, those are the casualties of our foreign wars, right? We have Iraqis, Kurds, Afghanis taking to the open water in leaky vessels to try and get to Australia. That's a tremendous, dangerous, horrifying journey, but people are desperate. That is the cost of our foreign aid, right? And all of the wars that we've been making in the 20th century, particularly since World War II, particularly since 9-11. So if we want to think about what we get, and this is something that I think a lot of social movements in the, the 1970s recognized, right, that poverty in this country, racism in this country, people in central cities in this country have more in common politically and economically with people around the world who are the victims of this foreign policy. So when we think about Palestinians in Gaza, like even the ones surviving, we bombed all, I mean, the US, the Israel bombed all of the hotels, I mean, sorry, hospitals in Gaza with U.S. complete buy-in, with U.S. support. Why? Because the, the, the phrase is it was the Hamas Pentagon. Well, it turns out that there were tunnels underneath one of the hospitals that were built by Israel 50 years ago. But we thought of it because we think of the world this way as, quote, the Hamas Pentagon. There is no Hamas Pentagon. Um, we're the ones who have the Pentagon, right? So if we could stop spending money to rain death on the world, we could, we could feed and clothe and educate and laptop our population. In fact, the world, you know, like, Americans die young because we, even people who are comparatively secure, you know, professors like myself, worry that we won't have enough money in our old age, worry that we won't be able to educate our children because everything is so expensive. My younger daughter is in university in Canada. If you're Canadian, it costs about $1,500 a year to go to college. Mm. If you're American, it costs many, 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 that's a choice, right? Are we going to bankrupt ourselves, mm -hmm. educate our kids, or is it going to be accessible to all the kids? But we have to start making different choices, and we have to stop thinking about foreign policy as our safety. Right? Foreign policy is ruinous to the, to, the, to everyone in the world. You know, this, this, this militaristic foreign policy that is controlled by an elite number of mostly white men who um, benefit from reigning death in the world, we, we can't have that. It's eroding our democracy. It's eroding every fiber of our society. Mm. Thank you so much wow. for that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, and have a blessed day, pouring you your, your your children. Absolutely, thank you so much. So, Mark Sanchez, we are waiting with bated breath, right oh. there, to hear what you have to say about this. I'm sitting down. I don't have popcorn, but I'm just waiting to hear. Good morning, good morning um, to you, Mark. What do you say? Well, well, thank you, and, and I've uh, appreciated all of the, the comments that have been made so far. All of them are right on point, uh, at, at least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I, I guess what I'd like to suggest is that uh, I, I'm, I'm not unlike uh, many, if not most people on the left, who spend lots of time uh, lambasting capitalism. I mean, it's, it's one of the missions in my life to destroy that system because I hate it so much, because it's so destructive. Uh, 
but one of the things that, uh, as a revolutionary, I must do is to not only be honest with the people, but to be honest with myself. And I've had to come to terms with the fact that as much as capitalism is a target of left-wing movements, revolutionary movements, the fact is that in the United States, we don't have capitalism. Uh, you know, if you look at the earliest uh, theorists, uh, capitalist theorists, Adam Smith and others, what they talked about was a, a quote-unquote free market uh, that in- allowed entrepreneurs uh, to use their initiative, their creativity, their energy, and their resources uh, to try and make products uh, to provide services that were better than any that any, co- any competitor might come up with. And it's really sort of a free-for-all. Entrepreneurs compete with each other uh, to try and make a better mousetrap, uh, to sell more widgets than their competitors. And the, the company or the corporation that loses in that battle is allowed to die. It has to die because that's the way the capitalist system is supposed to increase quality and in productivity, is to make sure that those who are delivering the most are the ones that survive, survival of the fittest uh, to the benefit of the masses, presumably. Now, all of that is a fantasy, as far as I'm concerned, but that's what capitalism is supposed to be. We don't have that in the United States, and we haven't had it for quite some time. Uh, What we have had is essentially socialism for corporations. Uh, You know, when, when you have the big three automakers and they start to fall into trouble, Adam Smith would say, let them die. Let them collapse. But what happens is that the government bails them out, uh, provides them with the, the resources and the funding, the finances that they need in order to continue operating. And it happens that way with major corporations all of the time. If individuals who are failing, who have to declare bankruptcy or who are, are struggling in other ways, if they uh, are in trouble and they turn to the government, then fingers are wagged at them. Uh, They have their hands out. Uh, They're trying to draw from the public till uh, without justification. There's something shameful about the fact that they are looking to the government to help them. And and that's the great contradiction. So I think that in dealing with this question about distribution of resources, we have to be honest. And we have to understand that the old phrase, government by and for the people, is a blatant lie. It has never been by and for the people. It has, from the very beginning, been for, uh, by and for, elite white interests. In the earliest days, it was families, white property males, uh, who uh, had resources available to them and to their families, who were the ones who were able to participate in government. They were able to control the economy. They ran the society. And their, their uh, descendants are not necessarily just families, but major corporations and multinational corporations that have no real ties or allegiance to the United States as an entity. Uh, they're global. They could care less. They couldn't care less about what happens in this country to real people. And when we get more specific, we, we, we find out that uh, this, this uh, socialism for the corporations really has become more targeted at what we've been talking about all morning, which is the military-industrial complex. Because in order to sustain something like this, the multinational corporations and global capitalism generally has to have access to the resources of the planet. 
And most times, the only way that you can lock that down is through the use of force, uh, the use of the military in order to take things uh, from indigenous populations. Uh, and we're seeing it play out very well in Gaza, where they want the oil. Uh, and so this is a recurring situation. It is, because, it is chronic. And I think that we delude ourselves if we think that what we can do as ordinary people is to come together and use the levers of government to dislodge this. This is permanent. This is hardwired into the system. It cannot be voted out. It cannot be mobilized out. It cannot, through the use of government mechanisms, be changed. And we have to come to terms with that. The only way that it's going to change is through revolutionary change. The only way is if the people themselves uh, completely dislodge the forces that control uh, this, this economy, control this government, and build something new. And, you know, that's just a reality that we have to come to terms with. If not, then we continue to live in a fool's paradise and believe that uh, we, can, we can elect a president that's going to change it. They won't. They're part of it. Uh, there's too much money to be made. There's too much money to be made from war. You need to fund Raytheon. You need to continue to increase the coffers and the profit margins of Lockheed Martin to build all of these heavy weapons that are used to destroy entire cities and entire countries in some cases so that more contracts can be given to major corporations to come in and to engage in uh, disaster capitalism by paying them lots of money to rebuild all of these cities so that they can be destroyed once again, so that this entire cycle can repeat. And meanwhile, you know, a rat done bit my sister Nell while Whitey's on the moon. Her hands and feet begin to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. I mean, I think that's, that's the reality. Gil Scott Heron had it right back then, uh, and it's still true. Well, let, let me ask, CK, may I jump in here? Because this, is a, yeah, question that, this is a question that I have, particularly since you... Uh, of a lawyer for so many of these persons who engage in civil uh, dissent. And I would ask this of the whole panel, of, of Mark Fancher, of Attorney Daryl Jones, but starting with Dwight McKee, do you think that people believe they can change the society? Or do you think that people just don't have any belief that they can change anything? Uh, I think that most people who believe they can change society are the ones who are changing society. As they leave here, they see themselves as the power brokers, and they're trained and conditioned and educated to believe that they're going to be in charge. And they operate like they're in charge, and they set themselves up to be in charge. And there's a sense of they have the resources and the power to impose their will on everybody else. Now, uh, theoretically, since this is idealistically a democracy, we have the numbers, but we don't have, many of us don't have the will or the understanding. And so we stand manipulated by them and, and their resources and by their propaganda. And so we're like sheep and, 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 they're like wolves, and they lead us to the slaughter because we we depend upon them on them to tell us what we think, and we depend upon them to 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 actualize our futures. Uh, 
and we depend upon them to give us the blueprint. And as long as you do that, then you, you it does not matter what your numbers are. You're always going to become the pawn in somebody else's chess game. Hmm. Oh, Daryl Jones, your thoughts? Well, you know, uh, I agree with what much of what uh, what uh, Dwight has said. Um, you know, obviously, I, I take issue uh, when folks start uh, putting into the orbit uh, that uh, the, the power of the vote won't make a difference uh, in terms of the elected officials and what's going to happen is going to happen. Now, and I lift up examples, right, just smaller examples. I, I look at what happened down in Georgia where there was an election of a sheriff, a black sheriff, who defeated a white incumbent sheriff, and they were you know, really just brutalizing the black community down there, one by one vote. By one vote, the people there shifted the conversation. They shifted the policy that was in place. So when I talk about the power of the vote and the power to make changes uh, across not just the country, but with the country's interests, with the country's policies, with the country's practices, we've got to be uh, willing to uh, you know, understand and certainly appreciate that having elected officials and holding them accountable uh, for the issues that we want in place is a major step in doing that. Whether, you know, one of the reasons why, and I'll make it even more practical, one of the reasons why we're seeing all this concentration now questioning uh, with, with President Biden and trying to, you know, uh, uh, finagle and, and walk this fine line uh, with the, with the uh, uh, Israeli uh, war, if you will, uh, as well as with the Ukraine, is because he's concerned about these voters. What are, the, what are these voters going to do? You know, are, are, are the, are am I against the interests of the voters? If the voters vote me out, then what happens? And then, you know, a, a whole part of that really is directing the policy, shifting the narrative, being certain that you're in tune with what the American people, the majority of American people want. And I, and I just believe that, uh, you know, that power of, of the vote, and even when we look at the conservative circles when we're going into the power of that vote, we, we see them doing things to manipulate the power of your votes. Your vote isn't uh, as powerful as, as every other vote. All of that is done with the purpose of trying to put people in place that will be more consistent with the policies that your other side wants than what you want. And so that's why I say uh, a large part of this has got to be focused on, you know, if our interest is on food, not wars, then we need to be certain we have elected officials that are focused on our domestic basic needs to survive and not necessarily a war abroad. But keeping in mind that oftentimes, you know, we, our security uh, is at issue, so we have to you know, ha have an eye on it. But we've got to figure out what our priority is and our spending priority will demonstrate, will show where we are as a nation. Hmm. May, may I suggest this, that, that it does come down to the question of what our priority is. If our priority is to solve the problems, I mean permanently solve them, then we have to look beyond the structures of government. We have to look beyond what they've set up because it's been designed to prevent solutions to the problems. The way that the system works is this, that it understands that it's corrupt. It understands that it's maintaining a, 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 a system of injustice and the circumstances are unjust. And therefore, it must be very sensitive uh, to, the, to the, the sentiments uh, and to the movements of the masses of people. 
And when the people begin to wake up, when they become aware, the system can't just stand rigid and say that we're going to preserve this system of injustice even over your opposition. What it must do is it must grant concessions, essentially to pacify the people. And so we've seen this before. Uh, When U.S. imperialism was dominating Southeast Asia, or at least trying to dominate it, they lost there, but when they were waging war in Vietnam, and people came out in mass to oppose the Vietnam War, the system had to concede. It had to withdraw from Vietnam. And in the years after that, it had to be very careful about how it was going to deploy its troops and when and under what circumstances, because they knew the power of the people and the fact that they could overwhelm them. But there is ultimately a line which they will not, from which they will not budge. They will not surrender entirely the system of imperialism. They will not surrender entirely their, their control and domination, or at least their efforts to dominate and control the planet's resources. Uh, they will try and pacify the people as long as they can. But if the people decide that they actually want to try and dislodge these forces, uh, these powerful forces and corporations, then the people will have to be prepared to face uh, you know, the, uh, a real war against them, a violent war against them. And that's what's so frightening, I think, to so many of us, uh, is understanding that. I mean, Dr. King experienced it. Dr. King was fine as long as he was trying to integrate uh, lunch counters, as long as he was trying to get access to the ballot box, as long as he was trying to break down Jim Crow. As long as he was doing that, then that's fine. Those are concessions the system was willing to make, not only because it, it, it didn't harm them, but in some ways it helped them because it opened up uh, their access to, to the dollars of the black community. But when Dr. King crossed that line, when he began to challenge the very idea of imperialism, when he began to challenge militarism, when he began to challenge the capitalist system, they put a bullet in his head. And that's what we have to understand. We can do only so much. But if we're serious and if our priority is to resolve these problems permanently, then we really do have to think beyond what is put before us as the established and acceptable method of trying to make change. Hmm. CK, we've got a couple of minutes. Well, you know, Santita, we've um, we've heard, you know, from all of our, our, our wonderful morning stars um, that have had different views, and I think it's important for us to recognize that each one of us can play a role. Each one of us can play a role from where we are from where we sit. Whether you believe, as Mark says, that, you know, the whole entire machinery has to be torn down and rebuilt, or whether you believe, as Daryl was saying, that, you know, voting is important. It's important to vote in and vote out elected officials who are advocates of the positions that you hold. The message is one of hope, that we each have a role that we can play from our respective spaces. Nothing is hopeless. These are difficult times for sure. And when we wake up every morning, San Peter, and we see um, children dying and, and children being killed in, in Gaza, and when we look in our backyards and, seeing, and we see children dying and children being killed, it does have an impact on all of us. When we feel that there's got to be a different way. And, and I think that is what merits discussion. That's what merits 
further analysis, whether it's legal, political, faith-based, or otherwise. So, Santina, I think we should just really get everybody's closing comments, because I think we want to leave for the audience, what can they do? Seeds of hope. Mm-hmm. We've been in these, in these desperate places before, and there are sure. always solutions. We always have to keep fighting. It's never over. But it, it, we are in very, very, very difficult times, and war does bring out those feelings. But I think it's different this time. These two wars have brought out different feelings for the American population. And well, so I'd like us to have closing remarks. Well, we're not going to be able to do that. What okay. we can do is that we can bring them on on the other side because we're about to go out in I'll about a minute. Side. But no, no, yeah, on the other side. But stay right there because we won't take long. But stay right here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel so you can hear from Dwight McKee and Attorney Mark Fanchon, Attorney Daryl Jones, and Attorney C.K. Hoffler. Uh, are you going to be on Court TV this week? I've already been on Court TV this week, so I'll be on Court TV next week. Yeah. Okay, this is this is the deal, C.K. When you're going to be on Court TV... Call me in the morning. I know. So you can, no, 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 no. So you can just call in and say, hey, everybody, watch. Because this is the deal, everybody. CK should have her own show. That's just, that's just the God's honest truth. But you're the ones who can make it happen. She can be even more prominently featured on court TV and on other networks. But you're the ones who have to make it happen. So when she's on, when she is on, you need to send them an email and say you want to see more of her. That's the market response that way. You don't have to say it. I know it's true. I know how the game works. Because they measure every millisecond that you're on television to see who's watching. And the reason they keep calling you back is because people are watching. And we need your perspective. So there's that. So whenever you're going to be on, even if I just have you on for two seconds, just call and say, hey, I'm about to be on. Boom. Even if you can't come on there, I can say it. Got a deal? Okay. That's a deal. Okay. All right. No, I mean, it's not self-aggrandizement. This is about getting your perspective, our perspective out there. If the Lord gave us this opportunity and lifted us up, we have an obligation to get the word out as far as, as we can spread it. That's, this is not about me, C.K., Dwight, Attorney Fancher, or, or Attorney Jones or anyone. This is about you getting your voice heard. That's all we do. Stay right here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Henry, thank you for a great show. Going to get some closing thoughts. More war, more money for war, not food for the poor. Oh, you can change that around. You can. You have the power. I love you, everybody. God bless you, and have a great day. <laughs> 